Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. 708 on Triple R, you're with Joe and Vanessa on Bite Into It this evening. Thanks for tuning in. Every year, the Australian Computer Society commissions Deloitte Access Economics to undertake a detailed analysis of the Australian and global tech and business sector to explore the economic landscape, opportunities and the risks that we have as a nation. Tonight, we speak with Australian Computer Society CEO, Andrew Johnson, about the findings of this year's report. Welcome, Andrew. Hi, Vanessa and Joe. How are you? Really well, thank you. How are you this evening? Very good, thanks. Look, you must be very proud to have yet another report out this year. It's an exciting uh, milestone to reach. It has been five years, and uh, we, we like to think that the report has been getting uh, bigger and better each year. Ultimately, it's about producing an evidence base, and uh, while that's nice, it's about the actions that result from the evidence base. So that's the, the exciting bits yet to come. Absolutely. So I can't say that I've read every single word of this report yet, but I have definitely um, enjoyed scanning my way through it. Uh, The ACS have identified three policy priorities for driving the growth of Australia's digital economy. Um, Could you tell us a bit about what those priorities should be? Uh, So firstly, it's skills development um, across the broader population, not just in IT-specific industries. Um, Secondly, it's about improving um, the startup ecosystem to ensure more small businesses thrive and become medium to large enterprises. And the third one uh, is around investment, so the capital flows that can underpin that startup growth. I wonder, um, as you're talking about these uh, areas of the ICT sector, do you include computer games within the sector research that you do? Absolutely. Um, for, for games development, is absolutely a very uh, vital part of the ecosystem. And um, Victoria has been a really strong provider of games development. But yes, we do include computer gaming and development in that, in that snapshot. That's good to hear. I know it's something that our listeners are particularly interested in. Something else that a lot of them are interested in is uh, working in the sector itself. Does your report dive into specifics on where the skills gaps are most prevalent? Um, It does, but it's really at the occupation code. So in Australia, we report on the number of jobs based on an ANSCO classification code, which the ABS then report on. Um, And so that'll report at an occupational level. Um, So technical skills, um, sales skills, managerial skills and the like. Mm -hmm. Um, And that that classification. So it doesn't delve into, you might have a six or eight level um, range of skills being an enterprise architect or as a developer. Um, So it doesn't go into that specific level, um, but it does go at the summary level of occupations. Very good. So I guess that opens up another question about occupations. There are plenty of uh, students I meet these days who might be concerned that there isn't a future for them within the ICT sector if they haven't been very strong on STEM skills. Uh, But I know from my experience that that's a bit different. I wonder if your report bears that out also. Um, so it does, and it does it at a number of levels. Firstly, we measure, you know, or the major highlight reports are talking about IT occupations. In the IT industry, 
more than 50% of people working in, in tech don't hold formal tertiary qualifications um, like computer science or information systems from a university degree. So what that means is it, um, people have passed way into a career in tech um, through other areas, so it's highly transferable, so that should be a source of encouragement in terms of future skills, um, growing your career and taking it into a number of directions. And then there's the, the element of measuring um, heavy users of ICT. So the sorts of occupations that we've seen to date, like in banking and finance, uh, where person and machine work together to be highly efficient, improve um, quality assurance and, and the customer experience. We've seen that um, you know the media landscape has, has been rapidly transformed. I already mentioned banking and finance, but we're going to see that play out across all the other industry verticals, uh, more so in future years. Health is, is a big employer in Australia, but there's um, you know a lot more automation um, and robots and, and the like that can occur in health, and we're going to see that continue to grow in the future years. That indeed is very encouraging, I hope, to a whole range of students. Um, do you have any advice uh, for computing students who might be graduating soon? Does your report um, have any insights for them specifically? Uh, so what I would say for students graduating is um, part of ACS's advocacy is to communicate how the occupation and career landscape has changed a lot in the last five years and how that will continue to change a lot in the next five years. So mums and dads might have entered the workforce uh, and had five or six employers over a 30 or 40 year period. That number is increasing and it's going to continue to increase as organisations um, change, restructure themselves. And the beauty about tech is that it really removes a whole lot of barriers to entry to enter a marketplace. So what we see with the big tech platforms in, in, in the US, they've come from nowhere to be market dominating in the top five, top 10 of, of their stock exchange over the last 10 years. Um, people didn't necessarily see that coming. And there's more opportunity as we move forward um, as that automation and digitization continues that, that new industries and new business models um, will sprout up. Now, why is, that, why is that important? It's not a case of you finish your degree and you go work in a bank for the next 20, 30, uh, mm. 40 years anymore. Um, so it's really important to have creativity alongside your technical skills um, to be able to see for yourself where, where gaps in the market exist. Um, for people with high technical skills, every developed economy in the world is desperate for those skills so you can become highly mobile and, and move across countries and, and enjoy a really global um, career. Uh, and so it's important to be able to take those opportunities as they present themselves. So flexibility, creativity um, are going to be an important part of um, the skill suite of a technologist. Look, you're touching on a really major trend within the ICT sector at the moment, which is remote work. Uh, did your report show anything about the proportion of, um, of uh, employees who were working in remote work situations? And do we see a lot of Australians working um, with overseas companies when they're doing that sort of work? Or is it more about the flexibility with um, jobs that are here in Australia? So not, it doesn't touch on remote work per organisation. Mm -hmm. There is definitely a trend that there are a larger number of higher paying jobs in CBDs. 
um, which also highlights that our regional areas aren't transforming at the rate that we see in a, in a Melbourne or a Sydney uh, or even a Brisbane market. The number of technology startups in, in Northern Territory and Tasmania and even South Australia to an extent isn't um, comparatively high to the major markets. So there is some lags there that we really do need to um, have some good policy initiatives to make sure that uh, we have an equitable digital dividend applying across the board. Mm. There's a fantastic section of your report where you give some uh, figures about what's happening with student education at the moment. Uh, the report mentions a decline of um, around the 11,000 mark of IT subject enrolments between 2016 and 2017, but that university completions in technology degrees has risen slightly to just under 6,000. Um, did the report draw any conclusions about those, those uh, particular insights into student completions at the tertiary level? So I think um, it's important at university level to understand that completion rates aren't high across the board. Mm. Um, our, our universities don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. Um, they're, they're more interested in students gaining lifelong learning skills and continue to educate themselves throughout a successful career. So people might actually change um, uh, their course of study, change their degree, um, and that will all show in completion figures in specific industry areas. Um, so that's not necessarily a bad thing. Consistent trend uh, completions have improved slightly in um, technology areas, but at 6,000 when we're forecasting a 100,000 shortfall by 2024, yeah. um, that, that number's not going to be sufficient. The yeah, vocational education training sector, no, this is an evidence-based report, so it's only reporting from um, Department of Employment Education training figures. We haven't drawn any specific conclusions um, other than uh, the VET sector has undergone some significant change and, and certainly the Melbourne uh, area has seen that uh, to a large extent with, with a reduction in number of providers. Um, so it may be an element of opportunity and availability being one of those challenges. It mm. could also be that um, higher skills require higher levels of study under the Australian Qualifications Framework. Mm. So it's too early for us to make an informed call as to why that's been the case. It's certainly disconcerting given um, the automation uh, trends that you see across the industry landscape. Yes. Um, but no, it won't, won't draw a conclusion at this stage. Sure. So at the same time that that's happening at the uh, tertiary level, we see so many organisations now um, doing uh, much shorter style courses to upskill people in very specific areas, whether that be uh, data mining sort of skills or um, UX type of skills. There's all sorts of courses. Um, adding to that, there's lots of online learning opportunities in particular program programming languages. Um, that's that's a, a really huge space at the moment. Um, I wonder if you're seeing any other trends there and how people are conducting lifelong learning. I think um, not so much a trend. We're saying it really highlights the need for individuals and society to commit to lifelong learning as a concept. Um, it's been easy to use it as a, a tagline and, and conceptually <laughs> people... <laughs> Everyone agrees. Yes. Um, but what we see is a landscape changing on a, on a two and three year cycle. And it's really up to each individual to continue to upskill so that you can attract those higher paying jobs in the future. Mm -hmm. The skill set that you have today won't be the skill set that's required in three years time and we must be constantly evolving. So certainly the report calls out um, micro-credentialing. Now that might mean yeah. different things to, to different bodies. So universities might consider that one subject equivalent and, and a pathway yes. into a degree or higher grad 
later. Um, but it can be as simple as a two-day course. It's really about how do you build your skill set over time. And that's a really important call out in the report. Um, there's been a lot of investment both at federal and state level for um, school leavers and, and apprenticeships and trades are really important. Um, but we have an ageing population like every other developed economy and um, we all, all industries are going to struggle to find skilled staff going forward if we want to maintain our GDP numbers going forward. So the best way to improve the efficiency and productivity and get that GDP growth per capita is to invest in the, the skill set of our existing workforce. That's yes. the, the immediate uplift in, in productivity. It was fantastic to read how much focus you had on, on skilling and reskilling within the report. Has the government itself been making any forays into initiatives to reskill workers? So I would say... Definitely not to the degree as the school leader market. So in, in lead up, like, there's probably four elections, federal one in, in March, New South Wales, and uh, sorry, New South Wales, March, federal was in May, and, and Victoria earlier, um, and a couple coming up. All the announcements were around those entry level qualifications, which are really important to pathway our next gen to occupations that, that add value. But the reskilling agenda of our current workforce has really been left to the employer. Now, the one big challenge in Australia, we have uh, about 2.4 million businesses. 60% of those have no staff and only 3% of those have 20 or more staff. What happens at the big end of town or inside government compared to the SME engine room where the majority of employment occurs uh, is chalk and cheese. And um, we haven't really cracked the strategy of ensuring that our whole population is treated as a strategic asset and has the skills that will fill those gaps in three years' time. Mm. Andrew, um, before we let you go, I think you might be one of the best placed people I've had the chance to speak to lately who might have a view on, you know, where we can look to around the world who's really doing things well in this space. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, so there are trends and critical ingredients and certainly capital has been one of those. So, for example, in... Australia, 97% of startups are expected to fail. We might have good ideas and, and people can create a minimal um, viable product, but taking that for an early market adoption customer base and then finding mass adoption on the other side of the bell curve is a real challenge. You can only double down if the money is available. So inside London, you wouldn't believe how well um, the Brits have done after the GFC, really focused on digital, got a great thriving artificial intelligence community. And then the capital available in San Francisco is incredible. And then you've got the hunger and desire in Israel. So there are some real hot spots, but I would say at a country level that anyone's doing it very well. Um, there's lots of opportunity and we need to look at uh, our economy and our entire population as a whole. Sounds like we are well placed to uh, hand pick some of these elements and, and make them happen here. What should ICT workers be doing if they're interested in, um, you know, having these sort of conversations at the government level and encouraging, encouraging government to uh, to look at some extra initiatives here? So, so the beauty is, um, you know, we're on the other side of, of a whole bunch of elections at state and federal um, level, so um, all forms of government are open to ideas. Um, so whether it's through your professional bodies, such as ACS if you're working in tech, or more broadly your local member, um, 
government representatives uh, are there to do what's best for our country and for our states and our populations, and, and they've got an open ear. Um, and right now we need to be really concentrated in where we think the best investments will generate the best return. So for us, it's about how do we get more artificial intelligence, um, taking our population on the journey not to fear AI, but to have frameworks in place where it can be done ethically and um, how we can achieve a more efficient method of production across all of our industries. Um, and then how do we upskill our people so that they're uh, earning those higher paying jobs in the future and that our skill set doesn't go down towards a more commoditised level. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your insights, Andrew. Uh, we've been speaking with Andrew Johnson, who's the CEO of the Australian Computer Society. If you want to read the Digital Pulse report, which they've just released for this year, please go to acs.org.au and explore that for yourself. It's a fantastic release. Thanks so much, Andrew. Thanks a lot. Pleasure. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. 7.29 on Triple R. You're with Bite Into It with Joe and Vanessa. Hello out there. We've just been joined in studio by Paramithia creative head Louis Blitzes and performer Georgia Walters. They're here to talk about an upcoming Melbourne Fringe Festival comedy show and Meme Stole My Girlfriend. Welcome. Thank, Thank you, Joe. Great to have you here. Um, it is very exciting for us to get uh, some creative types in here. And we do love heading along to the Fringe Festival. When did this show start to um, become a little bit of a, a star in the in the corner of your eye? Right. Well, it was uh, quite interesting actually because uh, where it germinated, I was sort of I had a friend we used to hang out, and we still do hang out. She's quite a lot younger than me, sort of thing. But and we were out having a drink one night, and um, as we were having a drink, I made a laugh, and she actually said the word lols, which <laughs> I've never actually heard anyone say it before. I've seen it, but I've never heard it. And it twigged something in me. And um, from there, it sort of germinated. Then I've discovered this whole meme because she has an Instagram page. She's got a couple, actually. One meme page has 86,000 followers. So I was interested and I started doing a bit of research, firstly on memes, and just for a moment, we talk serious stuff. Um, some of it was very serious work, like mm. uh, uh, a lot of people with depression uh, use memes for matters of communication and, and expression and stuff like that. And mm. um, a lot of the uh, people in the sex industry they, to fight back against uh, shaming of sex workers and uh, a lot of women who are in vulnerable situations, they use it. So that, that it's very handy in that situation. It's also then there's the comic situation where we all like a bit of a laugher and me particularly with a political vent. Um, I love the Batuta Advocate <laughs> yes, ones and yes. the Chaser. They're very good. Um, yeah, so that was there. And then and then I did more research and I found out these so-called influencers. Um, <laughs> it's quite staggering the amount of money that they make and the followers. And my friend, she actually is, has a small earnings because once you get past 50,000 followers, you make an earn if it's in a situation and then gets to and it goes up incrementally and once it gets to past a million well it's quite a significant amount of money and the it's Kard crazy numbers it, isn't it is. it? it is quite mm. hard to believe mm. Mm. it is and the kardashians of course there's like five kardashians in the top 10 um although they're none of them are number one but yeah. <laughs> our candace in the show she wants to be number one it's so probably fortunate for the family <laughs> dynamics really <laughs> it, is, it is so that's where it started and from there it just became i take the 
Mickey out of um, the sort of influences. And then I, as a writer, you have the great joy of being able to uh, take your own issues and create storylines sort of that uh, resonate with the people that you like to resonate with. And so if people come along, they'll have a laugh, but they'll also have a situation where I think, oh, yeah, that's pretty bad. That's, um, you know, that's what I'm trying to do. So, you know, and the, creative, the characters, I've got a fantastic ensemble cast. Like, they're all terrific. Sam Lauren plays Candace lead. She's uh, quite good in writing it and very fortunate to have Georgia with me. She's just a brilliant, brilliant actor. And uh, she plays the role of Mariana, who's a Roma woman, an Uber driver, and a professional poker player. Oh, that so. sounds like a character. <laughs> I would love <laughs> to be in the Uber. Uber. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and all the other cast are Kelvin and um, other Sam plays uh, Olivia, who's a uh, she's like the embodiment of a child in an adult body. Because I think as children, we're all very lucky. We don't have prejudices. We don't have um, any preconceived ideas of where we are sort of thing and as we grow older we go you know we get told what to do what's how to behave and that sort of thing and then just when uh we develop prejudice and we develop bigotry and stuff like that and so she's embodiment of that and being told by other people what to become sort of thing and so she runs through it it must be useful to have a character with that almost that innocence to bring to your ensemble particularly mm. in an emerging field where we're learning how to communicate with memes yeah well it is i, I sort of and it was so funny because my writing is sort of quite strange. I sort of I start off with one idea and then I might just go on a completely different tangent, you know. And uh, it's probably frustrating for the, the actors because they have to learn all different <laughs> lines all the time. I just had a couple. There have been more a lot of revisions. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's bad for theatre in this situation because you're live. You can't go back and redo it, you know. Oh, come on, I've seen Shakespeare in Love. They made it sound mm. very romantic. <laughs> I think that's where a lot of the fun comes in as well as an actor when something does go wrong. Sometimes that's where the magic happens because you're forced to just be so present and then the audience is like, <gasps> and then often it's the birth of, you know, something really oh, special. Yeah. So, Georgia, are you yourself a meme addict? Um, I wouldn't say I'm an addict. I would say that I have had a casual laugh here and there to quite a few memes in my time, for I sure. <laughs> casual relationship with memes. Yeah, I'd say it's casual. It's not serious. We're not dating, but we are seeing each other. Nice, nice. Have either of you tried to craft one? <laughs> I have actually made a couple in my time, um, usually roasting friends. Nice. Um, <laughs> That's the way it is. That's the extent of it. So yeah. what's the premise of your, uh, your show? It's ba- that's basically it. I, I'm sort of um, pretty jaded. I'm really happy that Georgia, she's young, she's got lots of enthusiasm for the world and other <laughs> things to do. And uh, as a jaded older man, sort of that's the thing with the, with uh, writing is you need life experience. And you know, I remember I was just saying to Georgia before, in 1975 as a 13-year-old, I was so angry when Goff got sacked. I said, I'm going to change the world, we're all going to change the world. And nothing's happened since. And every time nothing's happened. So people gave away the, the fate of the planet for a $1,500 tax cut in the last election. So all these things come up to me. So I had to get something out there to sort of do, have a go at these people that sort of just living for... What, what are they living for? Yes, it's you know? so interesting that you tie, you know, our current political environment with the ephemera that this social media seems to encourage. Mm, absolutely. Uh, but you also mentioned that, you know, memes can be a force for, you yes. know, social change and, and for communicating really tough issues. Yep. Uh, how do you, how do you, res- you know, think about that tension and does that tension play out in your play? Uh not really. It's, yeah. it's a, the play is a full-on satire. Right. You know, and angry sort of thing. Um I don't want to tell because what they do, I really uh, admire the uh, people at Depression and sort of 
you know, the other people that uh, use memes in that way. And I wouldn't want to in any way uh, denigrate or sure, sort of thing. Sure. So in the comic situation, this is more an, an sort of thing on the influences and and male as a bit the of the lighter uh, end of it's a field. bit of emasculating of male uh, ego and stuff. And that's oh. where Kilvin's been terrific coming in because I had a bit of trouble casting the male role because it's quite. Uh, not humiliating, but made a lot of fun of and stuff. And <laughs> it's all right for women to be fun of for uh, fifteen you know, thousand years in in, in uh, plays and that, but mm. men don't want. To. Oh, you think a good comic actor would be screaming out for a oh, role yes, like he's that? Terrific, he's terrific, We've got one, that's for sure. There's so much ready to be lampooned. <laughs> yes, Georgia, did you find it irresistible to throw some suggestions in here? Because there's there's so much in this space that is ripe for satire. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I mean, we've had a lot of fun rehearsing, that's for sure, and it's created a really um, enjoyable environment to kind of have a laugh at this current crazy world we live in and all of the kind of brand new issues that we're all having to face with, you know, the emergence of social media and all the new problems that that presents and the new ways of living. I, I mean, I was a kid that didn't have a phone and didn't have a TV. I grew up without a TV at all um, on principle, which I love. My parents were like, you don't need it. And, <laughs> um, and so I, um, yeah, I just was not plugged in at all. I spent all my time in the real world. And then, you know, when I was 17, I got a phone for the first time. So I kind of have lived through completely living without this online world and then this changeover where I totally rely on it today and I think it's really what an interesting time we live in in this kind of generation of everyone that's kind of an adult at least today has lived through that and I think wow like what are we going to see next yeah. it was quite funny the first time I met Georgia she didn't have a phone <laughs> <laughs> and you still got the role so the yeah, talent must be there that's fantastic to hear. So where are you putting on this production? Right, we're at uh, Campari House in the city in Hardware Lane. I love Lane. that location. It mm. is a great location. Yeah. Uh, it's not strictly a theatre, so mm. it's, a, it's a space like a function space. So there's been a few logistical problems sort of. Uh, we're in the place we'll rehearse on this weekend or after this weekend just before and so I've had to change a few other things because oh, the excitement of putting yeah. on a fringe show oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean we are doing one part of the stage in a bar so I think that lends <laughs> itself to it. a good time yeah. so we're there from Wednesday through to Sunday the 18th to the 22nd at 6 o'clock to 7 it's only one hour every time and really encourage people to come along and have a bit of a laugh and and support we've got five fantastic young actors uh, that you know, it's quite different for French to have a foreign sort of thing mm. like that. It's uh, just one, but I want to tell a story and I use people to tell a story. And I, I've got a core group of I always like to, you know, they've been very loyal to me and they're very talented. And let's hope we put it on together and everyone has a good laugh. Oh, I love it. Mm. I love the sound of it. Um, it. The social media and influencer space is just so ripe for satire. And <laughs> I love an Aussie perspective on these things. Sometimes it's a bit exhausting yeah. continually only getting an American yeah. perspective. Yeah. So thanks so much for putting together the show. It's called A Meme Stole My Girlfriend. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. So, this show's been all a bit backwards. We uh, didn't cover the news at the start because we had a great interview. So, time to get to the news that you'd be expecting on this week's show, which is that Apple have had a whole tranche of announcements out this week. Uh, 
so they've told us what's in store for us with the new iPhone. Um, they've given us updates on the Apple Arcade. There's a new entry-level iPad coming out. There's a new Watch Series 5 and an iPhone 11. But the biggest news was possibly that the iPhone 11 Pro and the Pro Max um, are new cameras for iPhone, which have three uh, – sorry, new phones for for Apple, which have three cameras on them. So there have been all these images on the internet today as people are getting creative with what it looks like to have a, a phone with three cameras on it. Joe, have you seen any of these? Yeah, there was a bit of um, strange, speaking of weird news maybe, um, outrage that um, it was going to trigger people's trypophobia, which is um, a, a phobia of um, a series of holes closely oh, really? grouped together. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, hmm. Yeah, that's um, that's a, a very niche concern. And yeah. I also saw a meme with yeah. um, now the iPhone 15, it's all cameras. <laughs> I saw something that compared the look of it to a fidget spinner, which was pretty funny. Oh, yeah. yeah. It does look a little bit like that. It does, a little. Uh, so there's plenty of Apple news to unpack if you are so inclined uh, some of the, the, the new features are things like extra colours available in different iPhone 11s. I don't know that I'm that excited by colours anymore. I'm, I'm a little bit more prone to features. I'd be wanting to see things about battery life and yeah. screens that are, you know, a lot more uh, robust. They've but, promised um, extra battery life in these new ones. Yes. Um, they're also saying that they're getting uh, power boosts to some of their phones, uh, partly to power some of these extra camera features. So there's a new A13 Bionic processor. Uh, yeah, all right, sounds good. They are expensive as we are used to. So How the much? iPhone 11 starts at pretty much $1,200 AU. Whew. That's a lot of money. I try not to upgrade as often as possible. My iPhone is three and a bit years old oh well i think that might be a reasonable time frame is that is that about the frame that people churn do you think i think so yeah i hope so the people i know yes i know plenty of people who get the new ones as well okay one of the camera features is that it can take slow motion selfie videos so expect a whole lot of uh, meme-tastic slow-mos coming up in looking the forward to burr face Yep. The next um, Apple uh, operating system, iOS 13, will be released on the 19th of September, so about a week away. Uh, wait for the reviews of that before upgrading. That's always good advice, I feel. Uh, Apple Arcade is happening, so they've, they've been uh, making massive forays into having a platform for games at Apple. And so they've released some new games for their upcoming um, all-you-can-eat uh, sort of subscription service, all that you can stream, I guess. And that's coming later this month. Um, that's about $5 US per month for a family. Uh, and there's a month free trial for that. So they're making a lot of progress into uh, competition in the game space there. Apple TV Plus is also launching. So that in November, it will be released in over 100 countries. Once again, that's a $5 a month price point for US dollars. Um, so they're making lots of plays in that incremental subscription space. What sort of content's going to be on that? Have they have they said anything yet? Uh, I don't have anything about content in front of me today. They have been playing trailers of a Jason Momoa sci-fi show. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I don't know. There's still a lot of crossover in that space. 
So, yep, I'm also interested in the iPad that's coming out. It's replacing its 6th gen iPad with a new 10.2 inch 7th gen iPad. Um, it'll be optimized for the new operating system. It's meant to be really um, beautiful and bright, you know, better quality uh, screen, better viewing angles. It's got an A10 Fusion chip, um, all the sorts of things that if you are interested in iPads you might love. I know a few people who've switched from having laptops at home at all to just having an iPad for the home. Just, you know, they mostly use it for browsing and controlling their smart devices. That's kind of an interesting trend. Anyway, if you are an Apple head, you know where to go to get this sort of information. It's all over the web at the moment, whatever your favourite news tech platform is. And Twitter for the spicy memes. (coughs) Absolutely. Vanessa, (coughs) tell me about Google's antitrust probe. Yeah, so... um, There is a new antitrust probe into Google as people continue in the States to have this discussion about whether Google is now um, too big to be fair competition and needs to be broken up. Uh, There are 50 attorneys general who have banded together and I may have only selected this story because we get the chance to say attorneys general. (laughs) But they've uh, they've banded together across the different states in the in the United States uh, to jointly investigate Google over possible antitrust violations. Um, This confirms reports last weekend about the bipartisan investigation into Google practices. Um, Their their, uh, concerns are that if there's no longer a free market or competition, this will increase prices um, and even when something is marketed as free um, and it harms consumers. So it's reducing choice and um, reducing uh, equity in terms of cost. So it'll be interesting to see if that has any teeth. Um, the like Facebook confirmed that there was an antitrust probe by the Federal Trade Commission in July after they were slapped with a five billion dollar fine over privacy practices. So this is a continuing trend. We'll, we'll keep seeing forays into trying to take some control back from the tech companies using these sort of yeah regulatory uh, levers. So something to watch. And. Um Speaking of the, the tech giants, uh, they the Hustle is reporting that we'll be able to pay for things in a new biometric way. Um, Amazon's testing out something that they've codenamed Orville, and Orville can charge your credit card that's on file with Amazon by using your hand. So the system makes a profile of not just the surface of your hand in a, in a fingerprint sense, but also the geometry and the depth of your hand, and it can identify you by that. And it's interesting that they're not even requiring you to touch your hand to something. It's like it's the picture oh, of your hand. Yes. And um, they're not alone. Um, Apple have also patented a watch strap that will identify people by their, the skin of their wrist. I don't know, there's something about using the word skin for this that just feels <laughs> a, little, a little intimate, a little closer than I need to be with the tech companies. So soft. There you go. I'm not crazy about biometric measures in general. Me neither. I don't have any of that turned on my phone. I still have a passcode. Yeah, the second that you use them, you know, if they're made vulnerable, you've lost that that angle forever and you can't change your biometric data. I've I've seen too many movies where people cut off people's fingers. Yeah. Although I must say that movies are the only thing that ever made me feel like these things were cool. It's like, sure, I want to be RS scanned. Excellent. (laughs) I feel like a very important person when you make me do this. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bit silly. Hey, something that's not a bit silly is that our um, one of our parliamentary committees has launched an inquiry into the effectiveness of age verification systems. 
Joe, did you ever play the Leisure Suit Larry? Oh my goodness. At about the age of 12, <laughs> I used to sneak over to my friend's house after school instead <laughs> of going home and she had Leisure Suit Larry you, on her mum's computer and we would play it. Do you remember the very tricky um, checks at the start of that game to check that you're an adult and that you're I indeed... Don't, I don't even remember. I think it must have been incredibly easy. There were simple mathematic sums. There were pop cultural questions about the Beatles. Oh, yeah. It These, would have been fine. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we just asked our dad what the answer to the questions were. It was a very straightforward process for us. But uh, our Parliamentary Committee on Social Policy and Legal Affairs has decided that this warrants an investigation. They say there's a discrepancy between age verification requirements for things like online gambling and online pornography and that uh, while customers must verify their age within 14 days to continue using an online wagering account... Age verification isn't required at all for customers to access online porn and indeed liquor websites. It's the only place I really see enter your birth date here on websites. They're saying that this is concerning. So they're coming to this from a a policing of uh, sexual behaviours and interests um, angle, which is probably not the angle I'd be most happy about them tackling this issue on. But they are taking submissions to the inquiry. So submissions are now open. So if you want to have information on making a submission and the full terms of reference of the inquiry, you can go to the website of the Social Policy and Legal Affairs Committee of our federal government and give your informed opinion or even your uninformed opinion. I mean, you know, that's what the submission process is for. Triple R. 7.55 on Triple R for the last little bit of bite into it with Joe and Vanessa this evening. Um, our esteemed co-presenter Warren Davies has shot us a hilarious article today. It is about JP Morgan who have decided to create a Volfifi index to measure Trump tweets' impact on the market. I don't know if you remember a while back Trump had a what we presume is a typo in one I of his tweets. Coffee-fee. Which was coffee fee. Yep. So they've created the Volfifi index. I imagine to allude to volume or oh. volume of tweets. Let me see. Um Maybe the fact – yes, it's 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 the Volfifi Index. You know, J.P. Morgan love an index. That's all we know. So uh, they aim to explain and measure how the tweets from Trump impact volatility in U.S. interest rates. So of all the uh, more than 4,000 um, non-retweets from Trump's personal Twitter account during market hours from the start of 2018 to now, 146 have reportedly moved the market – that's alarming. It's alarming influence, but mm. not unexpected. Um, these tweets have had an impact on the market, especially in regard to trade and financial policy when they contain keywords such as China, billion and products. There you go. So if you're interested in seeing if you have an influence on markets, maybe um, have a bit of a play with the words China, billion and products. They are finding strong evidence that tweets have increasingly moved US rates markets immediately after publication. So they're tying it very closely um, to the tweets in terms of timelines. There you go. The Volfifi Index. You've heard it here, hopefully, first. Um, Trump has also used his account to knock China over their ongoing trade war. He keeps... um, posting baffling sort of comments about how his tariff policy is being paid for by China, which seems to fundamentally misunderstand how tariffs work. But, yeah, it's a it's a super interesting thing that they've actually found a correlation. 
there with market data. All right, thanks for that, Warren. We love it. Events and opportunities this week. Joe. what have we got out there? So you can test drive electric vehicles this Saturday um, at an event called Electricana. I love this. Yeah. So it's an EV car show and it's hosted by the Australian Electric Vehicle Association. <laughs> They'll have experts on hand to answer questions and cars available to test drive. Have it's, you ever driven an electric vehicle? I've never driven a vehicle. Oh my gosh. <laughs> How did I not know this about you? <laughs> yeah, I'm one of those. You're so I'm hip. from Wellington. We don't drive. Yeah, yeah. You're um, so urban. <laughs> so you can go to this. It's at the METEC Driver Training Centre in um Scythe and um, it's 10 to 4 p.m. and I imagine you can find it by googling Electricana spelt like Gymkhana yes the horses. electric with a k and it's h-a-n-a at the end this Saturday yeah I love that it's called the Metech Driving Center oh, which remind, which yeah it reminds me of SeaTech Astronomy from uh, Sneakers an amazing oh, film if you're into the computer that's a space. good film it's a it hasn't stood up that well in terms of when I you look at the technology. I haven't rewatched it, but I loved it at the time. <laughs> I mean, it's brilliant. It's Being brilliant. Of, a, of a certain age. Yes, it's fantastic. Watch it for Whistler. Um, something else on the horizon which is very exciting is that Free Play Parallels 19 is coming up. It's full of short talks and heartfelt games. It will walk you through a series of games and their game makers. Um, it's local. It's indie. It's hosted in Melbourne as part of Melbourne International Games Week. Tickets are twenty dollars concession or twenty five full, and you can find out more at freeplay.net.au. Guaranteed to be a good time. Hey, a big thank you to our guests this evening. We had Andrew Johnson, who's the CEO of the Australian Computer Society, and Louis Blitzes and Georgia Walters with their Fringe Festival show, A Meme Stole My Girlfriend. Joe, thanks so much for being with me tonight. Thank you. It's been fun. Thanks to all our listeners out there. I hope you're enjoying Radiothon. Do subscribe. Triple Ah Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts.